Welcome to the show. We are currently on our winter break, so please enjoy the following selected rerun episode. Media and Monuments will be back with fresh new content for Season 3 on February 19th. Quiet on the set! And action! Welcome to Media and Monuments Podcast, presented by Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Media and Monuments is conversations featuring industry pros speaking on a wide range of topics of interest to media makers. Tucked away in the upper reaches of Connecticut Avenue in Washington, D.C. is the Avalon Theater. The historic building started life as a place for silent movies. But as we know, big multiplex theaters changed the movie-going game and now streaming platforms are making an impact. However, this architectural landmark done in the classic revival style has reinvented itself to survive. Today, it is the oldest operating movie house in the area to see independent movies, documentaries, and foreign films. I'm your host, Sandra Abrams. In this episode, I'll chat with Bill Orbendorfer, the executive director of the Avalon. Bill is a founding board member of the current theater organization and became executive director in 2006. Prior to his movie executive career, he's worked in corporate finance and as a consultant to several startups. He will share with us how the Avalon Theater has survived a stock market crash, a housing crash, and a pandemic, as well as the value it offers to everyone who loves movies. Welcome to Media and Monuments, Bill. Well, thank you, Sandra. Appreciate being here. So the Avalon Theater is a rarity among, you know, movie theaters. It was built in 1922. Now, over 100 years later, it's standing, it's operating. Maybe you can just give some context to our audience and tell us how did the Avalon Theater organization do it and bring it back after what happened in 2001? Well, this was a classic grassroots theater revival story, really, Uh, The neighborhood around the Avalon Theater in Chevy Chase, D.C. really truly rallied together to bring this theater back. Uh, It was closed for about a year and a half and was in really bad shape. Uh, A gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Zeke and his wife Joanne convened a meeting in August of 2001 and invited people who wanted to get involved to save the Avalon to come to that meeting. I was actually at that meeting and most of us ended up on the founding board and that was where it started. Uh, And so Bob and crew succeeded in convincing the landlord to give a lease to a fledgling nonprofit that was created in November of 2001 that's called the Avalon Theater Project Inc., which is our actual business name. And Between that time and April of 2003, we um, went about the business of reopening the theater. Uh, The developer, Doug Jamal, who's very well known in these parts, restored the historic architecture and the facade and inside the theater and really brought it back to life because it it looked truly awful when, when we saw it after it had closed. 
and the nonprofit was responsible for screens and speakers and seats and that sort of thing. And we started raising money, started with hat in hand and on Connecticut Avenue on Saturday mornings and collected a couple of thousand dollars every Saturday morning from people just walking by, which was the first indication that the neighborhood was truly going to support this operation. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, and it really has ever since. So, you know, the community saved the theater, uh, and has continued to support the theater in in every way that uh, we have asked by attending, by supporting through fundraising and all kinds of other ways. So that's kind of where we started and and reopened in uh, April of 2003. In May of that year, we had our first big hit, L'Auberge Espagnol, uh, which was a terrific foreign film, and we sold out like eight straight shows of that over Memorial Day weekend, and we thought, we got it made here. Turned out it wasn't going to be that easy, because then we learned the vagaries of the uh, film market, the competitive film market, and uh, we've had our ups and downs since then, but we're, we're you know, survived the pandemic, and as you said, uh, stock market crash, and all kinds of other things along the way. You were off to the races with that first film, but, you know, audience has changed over the years. You know, how do you know that you have the right program to fit that? Or has that been trial and error over the years since you restarted? Well, I'd say it's been a little bit of trial and error over the years. Uh, you know, we, we did struggle in those first couple of years. I, I don't think we programmed the theater properly at that time. We did bring in a new programmer in 2005, Andrew Mencher, uh, who is still our programmer and really helped turn the theater around from a programming perspective. And Andrew has brought in you know, all kinds of different special programs, um, which appeal to specific audiences. And then we sort of have a foundation of first-run commercial films, art house films that, that are you know, generally the bigger revenue drivers. But from a mission perspective, the special programs are a lot of what the Avalon is all about. So we've developed a mix of uh, films, independent art house films, like I said, uh, that we think appeals to a wide audience beyond just Chevy Chase DC. Uh, We do try to attract audiences from other parts of the city. And then in 2013, we started a education program called Cinema Classroom at the Avalon, which was directly targeted towards middle and high school students. And we've grown that program over the years. So that was another way for us to reach out to other parts of the city. And we've had students come in from all eight wards of the city. We've had 16,000 or so students come through the, the theater on weekday mornings. We might have 300 students and a social uh, social justice-related film, uh, a, an appropriate speaker, and a Q&A. And it's, uh, it's been a very successful program. So that's another way that we've reached a, a different audience. So expanding your audience has been key to your success and not just saying, oh, well, we have this art house film, or we just went to a film festival, and then we're going to have these three films coming up. You're expanding it and reaching the next generation of of film goers in that sense. If uh, a school wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that and say, hey, I want to try that program for our school? Our director of education is uh, Rebecca Dupaz. She could be reached through our website at info at the with any question about the program, but that's, that's the person to, to talk to. And I think her email is rdupaz at the Well, one of the things that's happening though right now is the digital streaming platforms. So 
why do theaters still matter? I mean, somebody has to, they have to get dressed, they have to leave their house, they have to find parking. Why do people still go to the movies? And, and considering you have all these digital streaming platforms. Well, that's a fair question. And it, it's really been a question that's been asked, you know, well before the pandemic. I mean, there have been things that have come along that people have thought were would spell the end of movies, you know, DVDs and even TV um, along the way. Really, our foundational belief here is that there is really no experience like being in a theater, particularly one with a screen the size of ours. You know, our, our large theater has 400 seats and a very large screen and a historic venue. There's really, you know, it's sort of an incomparable film experience, not just to see the film and to experience the the sound and the spectacular visual quality, uh, but also to have that shared experience with other people in the audience who you may or may not know, and people laugh together and moan together. It's this—it's different than sitting on your couch and watching a, a film on Netflix where, oh, we might pause it and you get up and you go get something to eat or the dog barks or whatever. It's, a, it's truly an immersive experience. So, you know, we believe that's why, and... Um, you know, we we have a strong belief that that's why people will continue to come. But we we do need them to those who have not come back to overcome their fear of um, of the pandemic and uh, come to the Avalon or come to other theaters and and remember what that experience is like. What happened when the pandemic first hit? What did you guys think? Did you think, okay, here's what we can do? It will be a few weeks. Like, what was your what was your plan of action there? Well, it was a uh, quickly put together plan of action, that's for sure. We had just opened a film on March 8th called St. Francis, I believe is the name of the film. It was actually a very good film. We showed it on Friday night, and then we closed on Saturday, uh, like a lot of other businesses, and didn't open again for 15 months. So it was very sudden. We turned pretty quickly. Uh, we started doing online presentations of St. Francis on the Tuesday after we closed. And, you know, that was due to the work of our programmer and the distributor of that film. They worked together to figure out a way to do that. Uh, and that's really what we turned, turned towards for the entirety of the pandemic is trying to stream films um, online. And we got involved in a platform that did that and made it a little easier to do it. Uh, but in terms of what we did as a business, that was it. it. It wasn't what I would call lucrative, but it helped keep people engaged in the theater and allowed us to stay in contact with, with our audience. And in the meantime, we did a lot of other things while we were closed. We did renovations on the theater and did some internal systems improvements and, and the like. Um, and then 15 months later, June Eighth, I think it was something like that of 2021. We we reopened. And how are things now compared to like you know the pre-pandemic levels? Well, they aren't the same. I have to say honestly uh, that you know it's been a, a tough go for for this industry, particularly in the art house side of the world, where the audiences tend to be a little bit older and a little more cautious about coming out into a public place. So you know that coupled with what you alluded to earlier, which is during this time, people developed brand new habits of watching streaming movies and shows and whatnot uh, constantly. I believe we're fighting against that as well. Uh, so, you know, our audiences are, I would say, in this, you know, best case, 65% of where we were in 2019. 
and some months are better, some months are worse, but it's not it's not there yet. Uh, and so we're really uh, hoping that you know over time, and as I, hopefully the pandemic recedes, that more and more people will come back and experience the movies like they should be experienced. So one of the things you talked about, you mentioned that it's an older audience. How did you find your audience? Like, how did you build that list of people coming to the theater? You know, is there a certain social media thing that you did? Is there uh, press releases? Like, how did you come together and get get that audience? Well, one of the advantages that we had when we reopened as a nonprofit is that the theater had been around since 1923. And so, and it's a you know, it's a neighborhood theater, which is the way all almost all theaters used to be in, in interspersed in neighborhoods all over uh, the country. Uh, by the time we reopened, most of the neighborhood theaters had closed, and even more have closed since then. Uh, so we we had a, a very loyal uh, following, and and as I said before, the community supported us financially because people wanted this theater open. There was a lot of cred for the theater from the years and years of being here. Uh, you know, it's a, a building that's landmarked, uh, historic landmark. And we hear stories of, uh, I had my first date here, or I saw my first movie here, or um, some, you know, we've had people who even got married at the theater since we reopened. People got married at the theater? Yeah. Oh they my rented gosh, the theater. that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. How did they, um, they, they just said, okay, everybody sit in the movie theater chairs and now we're going to do the wedding. <laughs> well, they, they, I'm not sure what they did. They rented the upstairs theater, but, uh, you know, some people just wanted their names on the marquee. Um, so, you know, I believe we had a, a sort of a loyal audience to start with. And when we, like I said, when we reopened in Memorial Day, there was tremendous enthusiasm from the community and people just showed up in, in droves. Um, uh, and, you know, it's it's been up and down for a lot of reasons since then, but uh, for the more, most part, we have a very loyal core audience. And we've, as an organization, we've worried about, well, what happens when our older generation passes on? And, you know, the answer that I've always given is, well, the people who were 30 and 40 20 years ago, now they're, you know, their kids are out of college or out of the nest, I should say. And they have more free time, and so they want to come to the movies, and that's sort of the, the cycle that that we have seen and hopefully continues. There's not been any real magic wand as far as marketing is concerned. We do social media. You know, I would say from a marketing perspective, our email list is is the biggest and most impactful part of our marketing, maybe besides our website. But we, we can send out emails um, and, uh, you know, get sometimes see instant response from people in terms of ticket buying and, and whatnot. So, you know, that's our quickest and best way to reach folks. So I wanted to ask you, I know I have been to the theater numerous times just to see movies, but I've also been there for screenings as well. So have you started back up with the screenings and the director talks? Is that part of your marketing to also uh, incorporate that? Well, we've done a few of those since we reopened. Uh, you know, things have sort of moved slowly in that regard. But I'd say we've done maybe four or five uh, films where we've had a, a director or somebody, a producer, somebody associated with a film come in and, and talk, at least that many. Uh, and it's definitely something that we like to do. And we know that our audience really appreciates and, and tends to turn out for. Uh, so, you know, 
as I said, we have a lot of one-off special programs. We have a, a program we call Wednesday Signature Series, which happens every Wednesday at 8 p.m. And we always show a film that's a single showing screening of a film. We have relationships with several embassies around the city, uh, French, Czech, Israeli, Polish, and maybe one or two others. So uh, we work, collaborate with them and they bring in films that are popular in their countries or represent their culture. We have documentaries. We do a lot of special programming using that sort of Wednesday signature series platform. Well, we have obviously being uh, this particular area and it's women in film and video. There's a lot of documentary filmmakers around here. If they wanted to do a special screening at the Avalon, what do, what do they need to do? What does the person need to do? Well, probably the best thing to do is to uh, contact our programmer, uh, Andrew Mencher, and uh, that, that can be done through our info at the Avalon um, email address. Uh, some of these, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of questions from people who want to do some kind of a film. Uh, we do do rentals of the theater, and a lot of times that's what people are looking to do. You, you can go into the website through or go email rentals at the Avalon.org if, you, if somebody's interested in doing a, a rental event, uh, or they can do it through the other email address I just gave. Um, or call our business office and talk to somebody, and we'll try to try to work it out. I also wanted to ask you, you talked about your mailing list. So uh, what else, if somebody's on the mailing list, like what else do they get with that mailing list? Can you talk a little bit more about the benefits of being on that mailing list? The main benefit is that they stay up to date on what the Avalon has to offer. And our schedule changes every week. Uh, and we send out two emails every week. One is on Tuesday, which is to promote that Wednesday event, Wednesday Signature Series on Wednesday. And then the other one goes out on Friday, because Friday in the film business is when new films open. So that's sort of the start of the week in the movie business. So we send out a, an email with what's happening in the next week. So that's the best way to stay uh, on top of what's happening at the Avalon is to be on the email list or of course every everything we have scheduled is on our website as well so how did wednesday become the day you know the wednesday became the, the start of the movie week how did wednesday become the day friday's the start of the movie week but wednesday is the day we chose to focus this program uh, and i think and andy's sort of philosophy of programming is to sort of have consistency in what we do and so it's trying to get people used to the idea of, oh, what's happening on Wednesday at the Avalon? We know something's happening. And it's sort of the, you know, it's the middle of the week. It's not a peak time in the movie business. So we're not going to do it on Friday night or Saturday night. So we wanted to pick a, a weekday. So I think that's pretty much how we ended up on Wednesday. I like it. I think everybody else will as well, hopefully listening. And they'll say, all right, I got to go on Wednesday. Um, I wanted to ask you about how people can support the theater because, as you know, the big multiplexes are having a hard time because of the pandemic. And if these multiplexes, which are traded on the stock exchange, are having a rough go of it, you know, how are you guys continuing that? And how can people continue to support uh, the Avalon Theater? Well, I certainly appreciate that question. And we are a nonprofit. So that's really why we're here is that people... Um, and can make donations to the Avalon. There are really two ways to support us, and one is through direct donations, and the other is we have a membership program as well. And you can become a member of the Avalon, and there are four or five different levels and with benefits, starting with ticket discounts, 
um, at the lowest level and at the highest level, you know, uh, if you become a director member, you would not have to pay for any films throughout the year. You can come at any time to any film. So those are the two best ways to support us besides just coming to the movies. But fundraising is, uh, I mean, it's a sort of a fact of life for ourselves as it is for any other nonprofit movie theater in, in the country, and there are quite a few of them. But that's what enables us to keep going. That's what enables us to maintain this historic building, which is expensive to maintain, as you can imagine, for a 100-year-old building. We rely on those funds to, to keep the lights on and keep providing good films and continue doing what we're doing. And we're very grateful for all the support that we've gotten from the community for, for all these years. Do you have any fundraising events coming up in the near future? Typically, our fundraising is centered around uh, the annual appeal, annual fund drive, which is coming up, which we normally send out direct mail letters to our donor base and, and also to people who live in surrounding zip codes. And that happens in November. So we do rely on the annual fund appeal as a general operating support. We actually just concluded a campaign because we're putting solar panels on our roof later this fall to reduce our electricity bills and to be better environmental stewards. We just completed a $200,000 campaign to fund that. So another example of support from the community. And then, you know, probably the biggest thing coming up in our future is uh, 2023 is the 100th anniversary of the opening of the theater. Um, wow, and the 100th so anniversary is coming up. That's right. It is our centennial and we are actively working on plans for next year. And we're wanting to do lots and lots of exciting things around the centennial, which, you know, we'll be obviously putting out more information. We're sort of in the formative stages at the moment. We'll probably have a series of events where we'll be perhaps a gala event or something like that where people can contribute and, you know, support the Avalon, uh, Avalon's efforts in that regard and, you know, help launch us into the next hundred years. Well, Bill, this has been really great. I do have one more question. You know, what is it about the Avalon Theater that says to you, I want to be part of this community and I want everyone else to be a part of this community? What I would say is in, in terms of how we think of ourselves, we sort of try to think of the Avalon as sort of a, like a cheers kind of place where people can come to the theater and they see their neighbors, they get to know the staff. I, I think that means a lot to people. It really is a, a community saved and community run. Many of us, including myself, live in the community. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's what I would say. You know, you come to the Avalon, you're, you're part of something bigger, something that's been around for a long time. And, you know, the building is, is beautiful and the architecture is beautiful. And it's, you know, it's very different than a multiplex experience. The Avalon Theater is located at 5612 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C. To see what's playing or to sign up for the weekly e-newsletter, go to www.theavalon.org. Thank you, Bill, for talking to Media and Monuments. Thank you so much, Sandra. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Media and Monuments, a service of Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Please remember to review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. For more information about WIF, please visit our website at wif as in Frank, v as in Victor, dot org.